Tacky Talk time, folks. State Representative Tacky Chan of Quincy joining us once again for our weekly podcast. Hi, Tacky. Hey, Joe. It's good to see you again this week. Uh, looks like uh, things have warmed up since our below zero weekend. Yes, you survived the uh, the deep freeze, did you? <laughs> uh, it was, uh, I actually was out for a short period on uh, Friday and uh, I did go to the chili cook-off in House Neck on Saturday. Uh, it, it, I wore this down coat I really everywhere. It's very beat up on coat, but it was that bad. I yanked out this this ancient coat out to, to try to stay warm, but hopefully everyone was safe and sound. And I want to give uh, an appreciation to the Quincy firefighters on the battle on Liberty Street uh, they had and the basically creating, you know, their own snow mound as they try to put out that fire. Yeah, that was a brutal one for sure. Um, and that was just the start of an extremely busy weekend. They responded to all kinds of uh, broken pipes and alarms because of the cold. And they were just they were really straight out all, all weekend. Yeah, uh, firefighters are first responders uh, in a different level. I don't think anyone appreciates. They're not just fighting fires, as we saw on Liberty Street, but also very often first on the scene of medical emergency, uh, first on the scene uh, when there's a, a gas leak or other chemical leaks, uh, first on the scene, uh, as you correctly point out, I know we always make this joke about cats stuck in the tree and bring the firefighter, uh, you know, which I think is more truth than fiction. Um, you know, but there's also the whole, you're right, uh, any type of structural issue of a home, uh, firefighters are GR first, first on the scene. And uh, as uh, we like to say, uh, to folks, I mean, the firefighters, I'm reminded constantly the firefighters, but also the, uh, I'm also reminded a lot that uh, the people that uh, run into danger, not away from danger. And, you know, this is the kind of the lost part about uh, first responder firefighters is that they're actually running into a dangerous situation with full knowledge of what's going on and they have to make snap decisions and their education and training is crucial uh, to uh, make the best judgment possible because, uh, Sadly, uh, or better, I don't know how you want to frame it, good or bad, but, uh, you know, fires of severe, uh, high severity is becoming a very rare thing. So the training, uh, you know, supplements on the job experience, which may not be, you know, a weekly event, right? Obviously, we don't want fires in a weekly event. Modern construction and, you know, fire safety is very good right now. But, I mean, they're running into sometimes a first-time situation because every fire is unique. Yeah, that's a great point, actually. Uh, there are fewer, thankfully, fewer fires, but the ones that do occur, I was talking to the National Fire Protection Association about this. Um, because of all the synthetic materials that are used in furnishings and construction now, if there is a fire, um, it's much more intense and much more deadly. Yeah, the, the Firefighter Association uh, you know, is pushing for legislation to get rid of certain types of uh, combustible materials that are toxic. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you find them in couches, you find them in mattresses, uh, this type of uh, material that combustion is basically just a chemical hazard as soon as it catches fire. And, uh, that obviously puts the residents at risk, but also puts the firefighters at risk too. And, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff you may not realize in your home uh, that isn't like wood or cloth that you would never think about as combustible, uh, you know, can go up quick. And, but also, I mean, the fumes alone may get you before the smoke will. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Back to the... Um... The chili cook-off for a minute. Um, what a great day to have a nice hot bowl of chili. How did how did it go? Was there a good turnout? Yeah, I went in a bit early. I got there, you know, about the one thirty zone and stayed over 45 or so minutes. And it was a full room. It was a great crowd. It was seeing a lot of faces I haven't seen before COVID. Um, you know, people came in and you're right. It's a hot bowl of chili for everyone. And, uh, you know, also seeing the Boy Scouts out, you know, out in Troop 6 was great. 
I'm always happy to see them out doing the volunteer work and also participating in the contest. Uh, and uh, the you know, church uh, bake sale was there. Um, and uh, obviously uh, supporting the Housing Congregational Church as part of this uh, fundraiser. They didn't have their historical uh, winter fair, which is the uh, early December, late November event they have uh, to help fundraise. And uh, as you all know, and I've said this multiple times you know, on this podcast, they have a local organization that you support. Uh, you, you support. You know, it's, if you make direct donations to those uh, charitable organizations, I mean, it means a lot more uh, than you could to give into a national organization. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to be able to, you know, make a donation, help out. But I always encourage folks that uh, if you have something you're, you're passionate about or you receive service from at home, you've got a couple of dollars to spare, you know, please do. And, uh, it's great because a lot of these uh, fundraising events you know, didn't really exist uh, for almost three years. Yeah, it's true. Of course, the other big event of the weekend was the Lunar New Year celebration. How did it go? It was uh, pre-pandemic levels. Uh, I wasn't sure how it was going to go out. I talked to the organizers. They weren't sure I was going to turn out. They Again, they changed the configuration ever so slightly here and there to change the flow of people moving th- uh, in and out of the place. So every year, the Lunar Festival has always a slight change here and there as they're trying to tweak and improve uh, the way it's run. Uh, but, you know, shout out to Philip Chung and the staff at Quijay's Resources and the volunteers and the sponsors and all the people who bought a booth and, and the food vendors as well uh, to support the organization. And it's a family event. Uh, you know, it's, pre, it's, it's, a, it's basically someone's up as a family event. And people walk in from the neighborhood uh, or they drive in. And parking was a bit of a challenge this year because we didn't have access to North Quincy uh, T parking lot. Uh, so it was, a, sorry to say, I think people had a little more cars on the residential areas than they normally used to. Uh, but I mean, the event brings in like five to 10,000 people. You know, it's a come and go event. You're not there for the entire event. You're there for you know, an hour or so, meet up friends, enjoy some of the shows, and then, you know, you move on to your next part of the day. Yeah, I want to remind folks, uh, be watching QA TV uh, in the near future. We had a um, camera person there, so we'll have some, uh, some uh, clips from the event um, here on QA TV in the near future. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I did see a cameraman pointing straight at us when we're doing the whole ceremony opening. Uh, the next event for Quinjay's Resources will be the awards banquet, uh, which they did uh, last year uh, as the first banquet they did in uh, post uh, whatever pandemic state we're in. And, uh, you know, that's going to be coming up probably in May or early June, depending on the, the timing of the, the banquet. But, you know, we'll see how it goes. And of course, August Moon Festival is in August. So, uh, you know, organizations try to run um, three huge events within a six-month time period. Yeah. Speaking of the pandemic, um, you're, you're aware, of course, the federal government's poised to end the COVID emergency later this year. So how does that impact us here in Massachusetts? Well, not really too much. I mean, the COVID emergency gave the president basically wartime equivalent power, same as the state emergency gave Governor Baker and every state. And uh, the states have moved away from state emergencies uh, for quite some time now, actually well into almost a year, uh, in some cases, depending where you are. Uh, and uh, you know, the president will not be able to access certain types of wartime powers. It does not mean that COVID's gone away. It doesn't mean there's still not a health situation. It doesn't mean that COVID is still not, I believe, the second uh, biggest killer still uh, in the United States uh, after um, heart disease. So, uh, you know, I, I don't believe COVID will remain the second largest killer. Uh, I do think that therapeutics uh, and vaccines will bring that down to uh, much more reasonable or unreasonable because the death is bad 
um, number down the road, but you know, in the near term, it's still a, a major killer among uh, diseases and other natural causes. Uh, but I mean, it basically allows the, the president to um, you know, have some confidence that we're a new phase of pandemic. Again, it takes away some of the president's powers, you know, that was basically a wartime type powers. And, uh, you know, try to bring some more confidence to the American people that we are uh, moving to a new phase in our lives. And notice it's May. He, he, he picked the time period post-winter, uh, particularly up here where we live, where uh, the virus infections in general are, are much more virulent and uh, contagious and more often. Uh, once we get to the May, we're, you know, we're going to be outdoors more. The weather's better. Immune systems tend to be a little bit better when there's bright sun and warm weather. Yes, uh, we can open the windows. <laughs> exactly. And COVID is still continuing. There's no sign of COVID's any less contagious. I mean, it's still very contagious. And it does like the warm weather, sadly. I mean, it's, it's scary that this particular uh, virus doesn't mind the sun as much as some of the other ones. That being said, you know, I think at this stage, as I, you know, I said more than once, if you don't know what you're doing now, I don't know what else to tell you. Yeah, I guess one of the big changes is the vaccines will no longer be freed. Um, do you think the state will have to kick in? Well, the, the federal government is still mandating the insurance company has to pay for uh, for your uh, vaccine. So you have insurance company uh, coverage. The insurance company has to pick it up. The state, uh, this is a, you know, the country has kind of like a universal health care in a peculiar manner modeled after a private public kind of uh, thing that we do in Massachusetts here. And, uh, you know, we should be okay for most residents regarding uh, to be able to get vaccine if so desire. It's states that have um, people who have no uh, desire to get health care where the burden is going to be highest. Uh, not surprising, uh, a lot of uh, states uh, well into the Sun Belt going southbound um, don't have uh, mandatory health care insurance requirements. Uh, they uh, have for-profit hospitals. Uh, people will tend to forget most of the country is actually for-profit hospitals, not not-for-profit hospitals. Uh, and they don't have high hospital density. Medical centers and smaller health centers you know, make up a lot of the more rural areas. So uh, you know, in this area, uh, particularly the east side of the state, uh, I think we don't fully grasp the, the healthcare situation in the rest of the country. And frankly, we don't even grasp the healthcare situation uh, west of 495. I mean, the Berkshires is a whole special place regarding the challenges of healthcare access and and even vaccine access, right? So, um, you know, it's a tale of two worlds. But, you know, those of us who are living in the decided state, you know, doesn't really fully uh, see the challenges other states have and uh, states that, you know, do not encourage uh, healthcare or require employees to pay healthcare. I mean, families are going to be looking to pay $110 plus per shot. And that's a lot of money. Uh, to start with, but, uh, you know, also some of these states are, are lower per capita than we are. The cost of living might be lower too, but the per capita is also lower. So it all goes together despite this, and this inflationary period, you know, bangs them up harder than, than those with more wealth. Yeah, we definitely are in a bit of a bubble here in Eastern Massachusetts in a lot of different ways, for sure. Yeah, that's that's just one of them. Yeah, we'll see vaccine disparity come up once uh, once another wave hits. I don't know when it is. Like I said, this thing likes warm weather. Uh, but I mean, you're going to see you're going to see that by seeing the hospitalization rates and the death rates they can identify as COVID ones. The one that's going to be tougher is the is the is the tests. Test kits can be treated as over the counter. Um, you know, insurance uh, I don't think going to be required to cover it under federal law. Uh, whether the state is going to require that, uh, I'm not sure. I don't think we do. I don't recall that we do. So that's probably going to be a type of conversations we do other healthcare reform laws this year. Um, and uh, 
you know, right now the feds are still giving you at least one more set of free test kits. So, you know, very much, but definitely visit, you know, the, uh, or you just Google it, uh, the, the federal government's website, again, at least some tests again, and uh, the tests do expire. Um, keep it out of expiration dates because more than one person has told me they've tried to use a test that expired and the results weren't coming up at all. They were just mm-hmm. blank, blank yeah. lines. Which I guess is a good thing. Uh, instead of giving you a false reading, it gives you no reading just to tip you off that it's no good. <laughs> no good, yeah. So also please check those COVID test expiration dates. Uh, it does really matter. Um, so, uh, you know, that's another factor I think family is going to have to uh, deal with is, uh, you know, those COVID kits. I think they're going, you know, because I've been fortunate to get the free COVID kits because I, you know, I did, you know, go online and get them. Mm-hmm. But I think they're going anywhere from a $20 plus uh, at, at, the, at the pharmacy. At the drugstore, yeah. So we are recording this, Jackie, uh, the day after the State of the Union uh, speech. I know you didn't get a chance to watch the whole thing, but um, of what you did hear about it, what do you think? Well, it's uh, like a lot of these state-to-state addresses. I mean, the president lays out what they've done and try to take a victory lap, lay out what they like to see. And uh, and that's like every president before that, uh, before Biden, you know, to try to spot the uh, the other party uh, by, uh, you know, hitting some touchstones uh, to try to differentiate themselves from the other party you know, or try to, uh, you know, basically try to maneuver the other party in a position that, they really can't get out of. And one of the key ones, it's a very popular Democratic position this past election cycle, deals with Medicare and Social Security and the fear of privatization of both, uh, as well as pairing back services. Uh, that's a big um, Democratic platform, which the Republicans have a very difficult time trying to manage because, you know, some members of their party, not all, but, you know, a small segment wants to pare back benefits, but you also privatization of particularly social security is not a new thing. That, that's been around for decades uh, to basically the take away guaranteed benefit uh, in exchange for more of a, you can you know figure out how to manage your own money situation, which to be perfectly honest, uh, the majority, vast majority of us can't afford a financial planner. Yeah, no, it's very true. And, and it's, you know, to, to be you know, base base had the decision taken away from you and have it set aside for you is is a huge benefit for most people. Oh, absolutely, and you know, also and also the idea that you're going to hire private hedge fund managers, you know, to run Social Security, and there's no consequences, you know, if they blow up your money. Social Security, a trust fund, uh, is very very conservative on how it manages money, much like the state pension system. I mean, the single biggest debt holder of the U.S. debt is the U.S. government, of which the Social Security Trust Fund is one of the biggest agencies holding uh, U.S. debt, same as the Postal Service, uh, independent, they have an independent pension fund too, and the huge holders of U.S. debt because it's safe. The uh, growth rate isn't wonderful uh, because low interest was too long. But now if interest rates rising, it is the best interest of uh, pension funds to just gobble up uh, T-bonds like crazy uh, because the interest rates are good and the uh, money's guaranteed, it's low risk. But the bigger challenge of things like social security and other pension programs uh, is the fact that we have declining birth rate and that we have not been able to supplement our workforce and it's still going on. Uh, And after COVID it's even worse, uh, supplemental workforce of new workers uh, to uh, pay into the social security system. And uh, the solution is only one solution, it's called immigration. Mm-hmm. The federal government figures out what they want to do immigration. 
uh, you know, you're going to have a labor workforce shortage. Uh, and uh, that has a negative impact on programs like Medicare and pension program, any pension program and social security. So, you know, they, they got to figure that out down there soon. Uh, the longer this goes, uh, times are ticking on ensuring that uh, the solvency. So and don't yes, forget. The closer, closer I get to that age, the more I worry about it. <laughs> yeah, people forget. I mean, the, the federal government, uh, as well as the state government, had raided pension funds in the past, which creates the unfunded liability. So, I mean, the uh, for, you know, as opposed to raising taxes or cutting spending, uh, generally raising taxes because cutting spending is actually more challenging people get credit for. Uh, but I mean, they they borrowed money against uh, the pension funds, Social Security, and uh, you know they were slow in paying it back. So, not all these liabilities, you know, are strictly a declining birth rate or people using the program. It's also because the feds. As well as the state has, you know, borrowed against the fund and, and create these unfunded liabilities. It's not as simple as uh, paying out benefits, you know, that creates the uh, liabilities. Yeah, which leads to another uh, of the touchstone topics: raising the federal debt ceiling, which also came up last night during the speech. Yeah, that was expected. I mean, this has been a touch point of politics forever. Uh, if you well, you watch Congress over the last you know, decades of this debt ceiling issue. Uh, it's always been political fodder for both liberal parties. Uh, when President Trump was there, uh, the, the Republicans had no problems raising the debt ceiling. Democrats in the play, they should try to get demands. Yeah, mm-hmm. he did, yeah, three, you're right, three. There was three debt under Trump. Uh, so, I mean, it's one of those things that's always political fodder uh, for both political parties. It doesn't matter which party uh, you'll take on the president. And we're one of the few countries that actually has a debt ceiling tied to the U.S. Congress. Most most uh, countries don't have uh, a debt ceiling that requires legislative approval. It's it's actually an executive branch function to manage debt. So this is a little uh, unusual in this country uh, regarding debt ceiling management. Um, and it's interesting because uh, it's the same chant at a time. We want you to cut spending. I mean, the debt ceiling is called a debt ceiling. You want to cut debt. Uh, just saying. I mean, <laughs> you want to cut debt. Cutting spending, I know you're, I, you know, it's just some level of common sense here, people. Uh, you know, you want to cut the level of debt. And, uh, you know, and it's always the challenge of spending. It's the same conversation I have people at home here. You know, oh, we should cut spending. All right, what do you want to cut first? And uh, that's, right. the hard, that's the hard, it's hard Nobody wants, you know, obviously, if you have paying for something, it's something that you want. So it's hard. Well, in, in this state, for example, our biggest single cost, and same as the federal government, is Medicare. I mean, Mass yeah. Health is our uh, Medicare Medicaid program. It's called Mass Health here. Uh, you know, it's state operated, but we're predominantly federal funded, funded by your paycheck. Uh, funds a lot of this program, as well as uh, tax state tax dollars and federal tax dollars, and uh, that represents you know thirty percent plus of the state budget. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I like to say, you know, you be my guest and tell grandma and granddad that you're taking away the health insurance. You can do that first. I'm not doing that. If you have the capacity to go to a senior citizen, I'm taking your health insurance away. You know, hey, you do it. And uh, if you feel good about yourself, well, that speaks a lot about your personality and how you grew up. And, uh, you know, this is the uh, interesting thing about my job and other legislators and, you know, executive branch folks, too, is that, you know, everybody... Know, wants to cut spending, uh, but let's start with the biggest nut. And uh, are you willing to go down their path and stare down someone's grandparents? Well, talk to your own grandparents. You know, uh, cutting can start at home. You know, you go tell your parents you want to take away their Medicare, Medicaid. 
yeah, like I said, it's not it's not easy. It's uh, not easy at all. Certainly, when you're dealing, you know, with human beings and their their well being. Well, exactly, Ed. And people tend to reduce this to just sheer statistics and political sound bites. I mean, it's never lost to me with dealing with human beings. It never has, never will. And uh, you know, it's not like Congress. Again, once you're further away from home, the money fundraising is different. Your interaction with the public is different. Uh, it's harder to get to meet individual people uh, when you're in Congress. Uh, and, you know, in this whole uh, negative fundraising uh, we have feeds the beast or trying to raise money by, you know, being as negative as possible and do a lot of fear mongering. And I don't like that. I don't like the idea that people should be giving money out of fear. You know, people should give you fun money out of faith and belief that you know, you're going to do the best you can in the job you got. Mm. And like I said, it's just my mentality about it that's that's just me. Um, not everybody will agree with me on that, and, and I get that too. Uh, of course, one of the other big topics um, was the uh, so-called Chinese spy balloon incident. Yeah, just when you thought you saw it all, uh, you get a, you know, you get that moment like, really, this this is happening. And the the, the big revelation to me was it wasn't the first time. <laughs> Yeah, that's actually very troubling. Uh, it wasn't the first time. So uh, as you guys all saw in the news, uh, likely, you know, it's a spy balloon that's apparently size of three school buses and a payload or whatever is attached to it, like 2,000 pounds. Chinese government claims it's some kind of weather device. The U.S. government claims it's a spy device. The problem is that the Chinese government claims a weather device, but won't name the private company that, it, that owns said device. Um, which is kind of like clue that you can't get the private Chinese corporation that owns it and keep changing the story. We've got a problem here. Mm -hmm. People ask me why balloon. Uh, you know, it sits in that zone um, that's above air travel uh, and it can stay stationary issue with the right propulsion system to kind of navigate the winds to stay in one spot to, uh, to uh, take pictures and do surveillance. Uh, it is solar powered. We clearly solar panels. So, you know, it has the ability to uh, self-generate and also collect better sunlight once you're out of the clouds. And uh, and it's relatively harder to spot. I mean, trust me, they know where every spy satellite is in the sky. I mean, whether it be private cameras or public uh, government-owned satellites, all governments know whose satellites are up there, right? Whether it be you know, Elon Musk or, you know, the CIA. I mean, everybody knows whose satellites are up there. So... Uh, that's a little bit different. Also, your uh, satellites can't just like move wherever it wants to. It, it relies on the rotation of the Earth. So they it's a little bit more complicated. A spy balloon gives you ability to kind of be somewhat stationary-ish in the geographic zone. And we know that cameras can you know, read a newspaper from space if it's calibrated correctly. So when you're only about 60,000 uh, feet in the air, uh, it's a lot better than being in low orbit. And you can kind of do that. Uh, you know, that we saw the one around Florida Latin America, too, which is kind of like, yep. what? Another one? What are they doing here? And uh, the timing is peculiar uh, because, again, I mean, Secretary of State Blinken was going to make uh, his first trip to China and try to engage in more normalization relations. Um, and I'm not sure what PR stunt this is. It's a weird one. Yeah, it, it does bring up the bigger question of, uh, of, you know, the relations between China and the U.S. and China and Russia and the U.S. and Russia, I think it's all kind of tied together. Oh, exactly. And it's a trade war still going on. The Trump yeah. era tariffs against China has not been repealed. And uh, that actually does contribute to your uh, bigger cost distort. Tariffs are 100% passed through to you as a consumer. 
uh, it's, I know it's protected. Protection is a mechanism. Uh, I know it, you know, it's designed to you know, create revenue generation for uh, government. But at the same time, though, you, the consumer, is paying for it. It's not the supplier. It's the consumer that pays for the tariffs, mm-hmm. which is any country trying to create protectionism wants to give the local market a lower price structure than the foreign market trying to enter. Hence, you know, reducing tariffs is a big part of globalization economy because it gives equal or near equal ability for foreign and domestic goods to compete on equal or sort of equal foot. And you still have cost of supply chain and all that. Yeah. So, you know, that that's what's going on here. Uh, so that th- those era, that era stuff hasn't it hasn't ended. Uh, and uh, before you say get rid of tariffs to reduce inflation, it's it's it actually won't induce fast enough. There's still all kinds of other factors that contribute to inflation. Uh, beyond just the tariffs, but I mean, it can be one of the factors of solution. So, uh, you know, as you may be aware, uh, the U.S. government has signed new contracts to have uh, military base operations in the Philippines. We're not building a new military base. We're going to be using existing military bases in the Philippines to join operations and base U.S. equipment troops. I wouldn't expect to see 50,000 troops in the Philippines, but you know, we actually have another naval port, which is crucial as well as, you know, a staging area for U.S. troops. And you know, there will be U.S. troops in the Philippines, but don't expect like South Korea level. Um, I think the base that was there um, during the U.S. Uh, territories, I think it was about 15,000. I'm trying to remember exactly, but I think it was about 15,000. It was still a U.S. territory. It was really transitioning out to its own country. Mm-hmm. Um, so that gives you a military base in Singapore. If you look at a map, the Philippines, uh, Japan, and uh, South Korea. And you know, if you're China, if you're, you know, it's like having uh, military bases, you know, in Halifax, in the Bahamas, uh, Bermuda, uh, you know, it's like that same kind of approach, right? Yeah, it, pretty, pretty close by. Yeah, pretty close by. And it's all inside the shipping lanes. Forty uh, percent of all shipped goods move through the South China Sea. So uh, the U.S. military having bases that are or military um, outposts uh, sitting in there offsets these so-called Chinese artificial islands. Mm. And, uh, you know, fully expect more, um, which won't make the news, unfortunately, because it really doesn't make U.S. news. Uh, close encounters of the ships, kind, I think is the way to put it, between U.S. naval vessels, as well, not just U.S. naval vessels, but also French, British, Australian yep. naval vessels that are going to be uh, going through the area, the military naval vessels. Uh, you don't have to send a whole flotilla. I mean, you send like one ship through and, uh, you know, there might be some more um, close encounters of Chinese Navy. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you know you don't want to cut off economic ties. I mean, bringing it close to home, we have the the Springfield manufacturing facility that making the new MBTA cars owned by a Chinese company. Yeah, which I'm hoping there's a massive audit by the state to find out what's really going on. How come they can't build us or more accurately assemble a car correctly? Which have right. seen disasters on the Orange Line. I'm hoping that the Healy administration will open a major audit to find out what's going on. But you're absolutely correct. I mean. You know, while a lot of, uh, you know, stuff is moving on supply chain and, and manufactured to other locales, it's not like you can just magically put up a factory. Apple is, for example, uh, the best example where uh, they have Apple City in China, essentially. Hmm. And Apple wants to get out of China, but you can't just build a new Apple City in Vietnam. It, it doesn't work that way. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Logistics of getting goods and services. We have long-term contracts. Uh, you have supply chain routes that are very useful. Um, it's, it's, you have to transport goods to a, a port, um, yep. train is still the preferable way of doing that. You have to build big rail. Uh, it's the fastest way to get stuff to port, uh, rather than just trucking it. 
um, it's 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 not as easy for U.S. manufacturers to just you know lift stakes and go out, get out overnight. Right. It's almost a tale of two worlds going on. There's the the, the government side of it, and there's the private sector part of it as well. Yeah, China is very different from Russia. Uh, you know, we're talking about the second largest major economy. We're talking the single biggest economy of consumer goods. We're talking about an economy that's still considered an emerging market for some reason I don't understand. Uh, but it's also a continually growing middle class, despite you know the fact it has a shrinking population. It's still a growing middle class. I know that sounds oxymoronic, but uh, you know there's still a lot of people that are lifting out of poverty level. That you know whatever the definition of poverty is in China, they're moving out of that into a middle class area. You know, it's still very much moving to city areas, the rural areas are still very challenged, just like any other country. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, the very clout, clout, tight supply chain here. I mean, it's like to say you got Kentucky Fried Chicken, which is the single most popular uh, foreign restaurant in China. They love their Starbucks. Um, Starbucks has a huge footprint in that country dealing with the government, also local supply chains. And uh, if a Starbucks pulled out, uh, there's a huge economic ramification for them mm-hmm. from supply chain of, of the beans straight to those uh, employees at the stores. So, uh, you know, there's also this talk about um, what it's called uh, domestic retail nationalism. I don't know if anyone's, you, we've done this here in the U.S. too. It's just you never think about it where you don't buy foreign goods because of nationalistic Reality oh. uh, and uh, it's not made in America. This is different. This is like we're going to shun uh, your uh, country strictly, strictly because of politics and, and nationalism, not because of uh, the desire to create a local economic benefit. To, okay. it's, to me, it's a very different matter uh, because foreign investment goes both ways. It's not just investment in foreign countries, but foreign investment in the U.S. also does happen. Mm-hmm. And it's not just uh, it's a tr- it's moving money back and forth between oceans. So uh, there's a little legit fear out there about whether or not uh, China down the road will go towards uh, nationalism retail, Hmm. uh, bring up greater tariffs against foreign goods, uh, and also encourage uh, local people to shun foreign brand Mm -hmm. products that the Chinese government deems as um, uh, a threat to the to the national security uh, and you know force U.S. companies out or U.S. companies or European countries or other foreign countries exposure. Uh, the China will try to make them capitulate to uh, the, the national uh, Chinese national government or Chinese communist government uh, demands, um, and uh, it's a different. It's not like using soft power where you know, you intertwine your economies and uh, use you know money to you know make investments and you try to create favorable conditions for foreign investment, for uh, foreign uh, development uh, in terms of uh, jobs and, and corporations and bank services or whatever you're trying to do to try to. You know, make it more difficult to uh, to oppose the local government. Um, yeah, yeah. The, yeah the, the whole balloon incident was just bizarre to me. It's like, I mean, I'm sure they have satellites already. You know, spying on us. Why would they send a balloon? It's relatively low tech when you think about it, right? Yeah. They keep it in the satellite, um, and they say you can kind of keep it in one spot for a bit. Mm. But the fact it was descending means there was a these things aren't built well. I mean, something happened. And uh, the fact they spotted one in Latin America means that they say, well, and you're right. I mean, if if it's true that the Defense Department under uh, Trump knew about these things and uh, didn't take any action on it, you know, that that's not a good sign for national security. And I know there's also criticism, why didn't you shoot it down right away? I mean, it's a 2,000 pound object you know, over inland area and, you know, it isn't, I mean, yeah, I know there's a lot of space, but you know, what's your risk level? 
And then you also want to try to preserve the, the payload. Um, it's right. different hitting water than it is hitting land. And uh, the U.S. military and intelligence wants to know. They want to know what is in that 2,000 pounds of metal uh, or whatever substance it is, uh, you know, that the balloon was carrying. They, they want right. to see what's inside of it. So if you crash this thing, um, you know, on land, it's a different crash than it is in the water. Yeah, there was talk at first of trying to, you know, grab it with a big net and <laughs> drag it down or just to keep it preserved. Um, so the whole thing is very strange to me because I'm sure all the information that it gathered has already been transmitted to its destination. Perhaps. I mean, if it's a malfunction, maybe it did, maybe it didn't. This, that's huh. a question we don't know. And you might have heard last night in the news, they're very concerned with booby traps and explosives. So if this thing was full of explosives and it hit uh, anywhere close to a populated area, even if it's a small populated area, mm. uh, it could have been really catastrophic beyond the fact you have 2,000 pounds or whatever, yeah. you know, hitting, you know, anywhere near a populated region. Well, you don't know what material is on it. I mean, it could be toxic, different mm. type of toxic material. Uh, you just don't know. So, you know, I get, you know, people are criticizing it should have been resolved sooner, but you got a combination of issues. You want, you want to know what's in it. Uh, you don't want to hurt anybody while doing it. Right. And you want to explore options of how to get it uh, safely or alternative options to try to preserve the payload. So you have, uh, you know, have a maximum ability to determine what's going on inside of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another, uh, just another one for the, bo- for the books. <laughs> Things I've never seen. I mean, the last time, and you can look at the history books, I've heard of any time of weaponization balloons in the modern era, meaning 20th century. I mean, the, during World War II, Japanese created a, uh, balloon bombs so you may not be you're aware of it clearly but not everybody is about them attaching explosive devices to balloons releasing them to the air currents and just see what happens right yeah it was very indiscriminate um, um and and like you say cheap as well yeah it was a cheap way and many of them didn't even work properly that's right yep um hey what's going on at the state house by the way <laughs> we should talk it's about a, that i guess <laughs> yeah it's a little bit quiet right now uh you know the uh said it's going to engage in debate of the joint rules. The joint rules operate the joint committees and the, the rules of the two branches on how they're going to operate, interact with each other. Said it's going to debate that on Thursday, um, tomorrow. Uh, and uh, they actually did one little change as the joint committees. Uh, they didn't change the name of the Veterans Committee for some reason uh, that the House did in joint committees. So they created one little discrepancy. Uh, other rules changes is very similar to what they've done in the past regarding of how they want to engage in joint committee votes, how to disclose uh, those will go and how to disclose public documents, uh, which I don't understand because if you do a public hearing, you're kind of in the public. So it's not like you can hide anything where you're hurting the public. And now a virtual world of a hybrid style system uh, using the internet is mostly maybe aware. I use Facebook for my hearings last cycle. We have to move to Microsoft Teams in, in the state website this cycle, which was having some technology challenges as uh, everybody has its challenge, technology challenges. Um, you know, if you say something, or you present documents to the committee, I mean, it's a public document, people. I mean, you're in a public hearing. This isn't brain surgery. So the, uh, you know, they have some like stuff in the Senate proposal. I'm kind of like, yeah, but yeah, but it's already public. So why are you- It's redundant, yeah. Yeah, it's like redundant stuff. I'm like, scratch my head about it, but whatever makes them happy. Um, and, uh, you know, the House said we have to resolve the joint rules. Uh, otherwise, you operate in these weird temporary rules uh, once the committees are formed. So 
Committee assignments can't occur by uh, any of the political parties or either branch until we settle what the joint committees look like. I mean, the speaker could put out House committee assignments on standing committees, but that seems kind of silly. You know, you got to do it doing one. Right. Yeah. Get it all done at once. Yeah. So, okay. So we'll so, wait and see. What... Yeah. No, as I say, Valentine's Day kiss, you may be missing that kiss on committee <laughs> assignments for a little bit longer. Uh, I saw there was a was there a protest at the state house yesterday? A cl- uh, some students protesting climate change. There's always a protest at the state yeah, house. Yeah. I mean, as we come to more normality at the state house, uh, protests you know, outside the state house is nearly a daily event. Um, okay. Sometimes either demonstration or statement. Sometimes there's like five people. Sometimes there's fifty. Sometimes there's hundreds. It it does vary. Sometimes the media catches it. Sometimes the media does not. Okay. It is a regular part of our lives, actually, uh, yeah. to uh, have people uh, making statements uh, over a lot of things. So I'm sure there was one. No idea what they were doing there. Yeah. Um, okay. And that's true. It's it's the it's the seat of government, right? So that's where people go. Yeah. Yeah. They even protest issues that aren't um, our issues. I mean, they always they'll protest local issues as well as federal issues. Yeah. Because it's it's um, the location. Mm-hmm. I mean, they want to do it in a place that. Uh, is the seat of power or the parents' seat of power, depending how you want to frame it, especially in the federal stuff, we have nothing to say. But it's right. good optics, right? Most people don't know the difference. They still get emails about federal issues, uh, federal constituent services that I have nothing to do with. And I have to find them uh, from one of the delegation, federal delegation members to find, you know, make the connection between right. the two people yeah. so that can, they can talk. Uh, but I mean, it's a backdrop, right? It's a great backdrop for Facebook, social media. It's a big dra- backdrop for the news media of any news media shows up. So yeah. that's not surprising. I'm cool with it. I mean, it's just how it is. Yeah. So one federal issue that might impact the state is um, their feds are trying to determine if the state refunds are going to be federally taxed. Yeah, it's a weird one because generally you don't, ta- uh, this is this is Charlie Baker kind of making a, a weird problem. The 62F issue, right, is the question mark. The 62F issue has always been a tax credit, which means that on your next tax bill coming, you know, this tax cycle, the paying your 2022 bills, taxes, you know, you generally take your taxes and whatever you pay, you apply the credits, the credits minus your tax payment amount, and then it can result in refunds because credits equal cash. That's how I like to put it. And if it comes back as a state refund and you're not itemized, meaning you're not a Schedule A, uh, you don't get this like 1080. 1099G or something, something mm-hmm. like that. I uh, can't remember the exact one. I'm sure an accountant can tell you what it is off the top yeah. of their head. But you get a you know a form from the state saying that your refund is taxable because you itemize your deductions. Well, Charlie Baker gave everyone a check as opposed to being a part of a tax credit, claiming it's a credit without actually us filling a tax credit form against the 2022 tax burden. Yeah. So on our level, obviously, we can exempt that from taxes. On the federal level, they're trying to figure out this is actually income. Yep. And this is the quandary that Charlie Baker made. And it's great we're not the governor anymore. You uh, <laughs> handed out a bunch of checks and now you're gone. It's not your problem. Uh, so, um, you know, this is kind of one of those things that the legislature was kind of miffed about. And we watched the revenue consensus hearings that were going out to the Department of Revenue Commissioner regarding the implementation of 62F. Not the fact that people shouldn't uh, get their uh, 62F credits, but how they got it to you has ramifications. Yeah. Uh, and this is the one I don't have an answer for you either because no. it wasn't a credit because it didn't come as part of a tax refund. It was a straight up check uh, and there's no federal uh, 
just how to deal with it. I mean, the, I know that California issued stimulus checks again, yep. but because you know they're issued by the state of California, that's income. The, the yep. IRS wants their share of that. Uh, yeah, and it might, might work out to be the same thing here. Although, it, you know, the the refunds were based on the amount of taxes you paid. So I don't know. It's going to be curious to see what happens. I don't know. If you're a Schedule A tax filer, you you may be. You know, you have itemized deductions. You may be looking at a tax on that. I, I, I just don't know. I mean, yeah, I, it's it's such a new thing. It's such a rare thing. The IRS has got to sort out what what that may be. And um, they need to do it pretty quickly. They actually do it. Need to do it pretty quickly because tax day is coming up. Otherwise, they're gonna have to make you file minute tax returns. Right, exactly. And nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to file them to begin with. <laughs> Never mind and amending them. <laughs> and I'm, I don't have complicated tax structure, so I'm a TurboTax kind of guy. And if you got tax software, it needs to continuously update with the yes. latest version of the tax code and tax forms. So, uh, you know, obviously, I think probably, again, I'm not telling you what to do, but right. you want to wait a little longer. Uh, not like you should, I don't believe you should file right the day of, I mean, personally speaking, but, right. you know, maybe look into March, maybe, yeah, uh, and, and see what it is. I like to normally get my stuff done in February. Per, or, you know, honestly, that's what I like to do because I have state ethics reports I have to do in May. Mm-hmm. So the sooner I take care of my taxes, the easier it is to fill my ethics forms because they tend to match up almost identically. And then, you know, odd stuff, like do you have mortgage? I don't have a home mortgage. But I mean, do you have yeah. student loans? You have to check off the boxes, right? Um, but in terms of the financial part, it's it's a lot easier when I do my taxes and kind of match it against ethics forms. Um, but I mean, he, I, I, I just don't know because if you're, running, if you're not doing an accountant and doing tax software, you know, it, it, it's got to update once the feds make a decision. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So, all right, we'll put that on hold and see what happens. Yeah, we'll wait and see, you know. Yeah. Uh, check with the federal delegation at some point. You can get them into a Zoom. I already have a call out to uh, Congressman Lynch, believe it or not. <laughs> um, hey, uh, speaking of credits, did you see this proposal to provide tax credit to people who subscribe to local newspapers? What? <laughs> yes. <laughs> there's there's a bill by one of your House members, I believe, <laughs> to offer a $250 tax credit to people who uh, commit to subscribing to local newspapers for a certain amount of time. How do you determine <laughs> that you did it for a certain amount of time? All I, kinds of questions about that. Yeah. Well, again, we're a free petition state, folks. You can file <laughs> uh, anything. It's why we have like 4,500, I think, or so bills filed this psycho in January. So uh, this is another example of the free petition state that we live in, uh, as opposed to other states, uh, many states that limit uh, total petitions that can be filed by legislators, and the public has zero ability to input on the filing. Uh, it is uh, this is not that kind of state. So I, I, okay, well, no idea what that's about, but I understand the public policy behind it. You know, to encourage, you know, uh, preserving the local media. Yes, uh, that's that was, that's the gist. Yeah, I get it. Um, hmm, <laughs> it's interesting because uh, most people realize the local media isn't taxed. First Amendment right. You can't tax. You can't tax each newspaper. You can't put a sales tax on it. Oh, sales tax, right? Yeah. You tax the corporation, but you they can't put a sales tax on each newspaper. Right. No. The the the, the price on the publication is the price you pay. Yeah. yeah. 
you know, which is actually uh, most people don't realize changing topics as I just pivoted out of that question. Um, but yeah, no, inter interesting little piece of trivia. Most people realize the First Amendment right protects uh, individual newspapers you buy from taxation. The corporation can be taxed, obviously, but yeah. the newspaper itself can't, yeah. uh, uh, which there are plenty of court cases on. So, uh, but no, I get it. I mean, advertising reduction, people are very aware the paper, the, the physical paper has re very much reduced advertising. Uh, and that's the life breath of, of the media. Um, and it's not just this media, but, you know, Facebook, Google, um, all live on advertising dollars. Uh, and, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, that's an interesting question. Actually, I think about it a little more. Does the tax credit uh, interfere with a First Amendment right of speak, free speech? Because now you're trying to direct people. Incentivizing people, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's now that I just thought about giving half a thought. It's like it creates another interesting question. I don't have a legal answer for it because I'm going to give you a tax credit. Basically, pay, the government pays for your newspaper over right. with the First Amendment by uh, by limiting you to subscribe uh, versus one uh, news source that is a paid subscription versus like online, excuse me, online media that relies on, let's say, donations or whatnot or uh, alternative advertising that doesn't require a subscription. So you know, if I use um, you know, a news source online, uh, I would be disincentivized from using that free news source versus uh, a source that you will, that the government will pay you for and then thereby interfere, potentially interfere with the First Amendment right of an individual to choose That's payment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Again, this is just legal. We know Tacky giving half a thought on, on the fly here. Um, they have no it, is, it is interesting. And if you do it for one, do you have to do it for all, you know, it's so. Yeah, yeah I, like I said, just a question. I don't have an answer for it. Yeah. I just gave a half a thought just now. And I'm like, huh. So, yeah, this is how I think, folks. I can do things like this. Oh, we're watching, watching the process in action. Okay. <laughs> watching the process in action. Uh, just giving it half a thought. I'm like, huh, based on interesting other questions. I don't have answers for it. Yeah. So, well, it does, it does shine the spotlight on, you know, the, the fact that local newspapers local journalism in general is is fading quickly yeah but also crazy interesting question too because for example you have your podcast in the morning you give us nine minutes or so news qa tv is paid for via the uh, cable service company as part of uh, agreement between the city and the cable company which you know whenever it renews or renews there's new contractual agreement between the cable company and uh the uh, community access television uh, you don't do uh, paid advertising because you're not for profit and the nature of your funding pretty much says, no, you can't make your own money on the side. Right. Uh, and uh, if, you know, we'll be trying to drive people away from listening to your podcast uh, versus, um, you know, subscribing to a newspaper. And I'm aware that, you know, things like the economists and New York times have their own podcasts, but they don't do local news. It's kind of specialized podcasts, you know, routers, NPR have their own podcasts. Again, I mean, they're not like general news, in many ways, although NPR did have more of like, you know, twice a daily update, whatever podcast. Um, and uh, hmm, this actually creates a whole lot of question marks in my head. It's, it's pretty intriguing because you're, this, this medium we're in now is actually, a, uh, can, can be considered a uh, informational medium, which makes it news. That's true. Yeah, that, that actually goes to the definition of news, right? Exactly. Yeah. Lots of questions. Yeah, it includes any type of interview. I mean, anyone you interview is news. That's correct. Doesn't matter who it is. That's right. It's it's it becomes a public uh, piece of information at that point. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. No. It's. 
Huh. No, you gave me something. Head scratching, Tacky. <laughs> yeah, you gave me something to think about uh, for the last four minutes of, of how I. Um, maybe we can continue works. that discussion. <laughs> yeah, now you guys know how my mind works in the in a four minute span. <laughs> uh, so next week it'll be what Valentine's Day. It is Valentine's Day, so I wish everyone a happy Valentine's Day. If you're into that sort of thing, I'm not into that sort of thing. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's again, returning some normality and, uh, we are, I'm aware that, uh, you know, people uh, still have some pennies together and, uh, of all, uh, types of consumer uh, going on, it's, it's really restaurants and going out, uh, to venues has been the major economic spend of many, many consumers right now. And I expect and hope that Valentine's day is a very good day for restaurants and other entertainment venues for, you know, over the next uh, week or so for people mm-hmm. to, um, you know, go with your loved ones and uh, enjoy an evening together. And, you know, if you're single, uh, maybe you're somebody else's babysitter. That's what's going to happen. Uh, <laughs> well, it all, it all helps. <laughs> it all helps. I mean, so, I mean, I'm in that category of uh, single. But thank you for my nephews in college. I don't have to do babysitting. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Someday he um, may be babysitting you. <laughs> well, that is a distinct possibility, actually. <laughs> I thought about that before too. Yes. So be nice, be nice to your nieces and nephews. Is the yeah, moral a few, of the story. Yeah, there's a few jokes we revolve around that one as as we get a little older as well. And I do age, contrary to popular belief, I do indeed age. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, that's kind of what consumer spending is right now. Retail spending is very modest. Q4 was not great. December in general for for uh, retailers. Um, and uh, but I mean, service industry and and the restaurant industry is doing okay and uh you know i i hope that people continue able to uh, you know enjoy um you know enjoy getting out enjoying the services they get yeah all right time to uh tell folks how to get a hold of you jackie sure 617-722-2370-617-722-2370 is the landline to the office there is someone there i know it's an automated system Uh, you know we the other person in the front desk, we answer the phone, but when it gets busy, it goes to automated system. That's just how it works, folks. If you've got like six calls coming at once, you can't answer the phone together at six times. And, uh, you know, just hit a button, you get to somebody, leave a message, and we'll, we'll work to get back to you. You always can email me at tacky.chan at mahouse.gov, T-A-C-K-E-Y.C-H-A-N at mahouse.gov. You know, you're welcome to do that. And, um, you know, we'll see if we can get back to you quickly. Uh, obviously, you got constituent problems. You know, definitely call the office. Uh, it's actually easier in a conversation than trying to read through your email because it's the back and forth is not always expedient. Uh, they also have uh, Tacky Chan Facebook, Tacky Chan uh, State Representative, State Representative Tacky Chan Facebook. You guys all know the drill at this point in that. And at Tacky Chan is my Twitter. Uh, the state website is malegislature.gov. Uh, you can find the 4,000 plus bills now. Uh, online uh, as they're waiting for referral to committee, their house dockets and Senate dockets. But once they get to committee, get a House bill, Senate bill. So, you know, wait six weeks for those bills to come up. Uh, I think that's how long it's to take the clerks to do the referrals. Um, and you need joint committees to do referrals. So uh, kind of those committees formed. And then, uh, you know, you have uh, tachychin.org. You know, staff and I continue to discuss about making their website better. And There'll be little tweaks that you're going to be noticing as we move into the year because we have to update the information based on the 20, uh, 2023 and 2024 legislative session. So we got to tweak that uh, a bit here and there. So plenty of mediums for information, you know, plenty of ways to get to me. 
Um, but you know, the best way continues to be, you know, call call the office directly, you know, or send an email directly to me and you know, we'll see what we can do to get back to you. Okay. Appreciate it, Tacky. Tune in next week and watch more of Tacky Thinking. <laughs> well, I'm sure you'll bring up a new topic next week and uh, we can brainstorm that in five minutes or less. You can start a time. <laughs> okay. Thanks a lot, Tacky. Take care, Joe.